from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia, welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And hello again, everybody, and welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact in our community. I'm your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and it is my pleasure to introduce our esteemed guest today. We are joined by Jennifer Hibbert. She is the, excuse me, Hibbard. I apologize. Mm-hmm. I put a T on there. Um, she's the Chief Executive Officer at Viewpoint Health. I am unfamiliar with Viewpoint, Jennifer, so I'll let okay. you tell our listeners a little bit about it. But first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Me too. Tell us a little bit about what you do with Viewpoint and um, how you guys got started and how you serve the community. Sure. So Viewpoint Health is a community service board. We are one of 22 organizations that serve as the safety net for Georgia to provide behavioral health and substance abuse services to the people that are most in need, primarily individuals who are uninsured or underinsured and have Medicaid and Medicare. We were actually established by Georgia statute. We were established by law in 1994 uh, to serve this population. That's very exciting that they saw a need and they were able to, I guess, fund the facility and put everybody into place. Now, I know that you have a very broad, broad role there being the chief executive officer. You kind of have your hand in all the pots, Mm -hmm. but you also have a unique story in a sense that you started there. Um, how many years ago? It'll be 20 years in August. I can't believe it. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And you started as an intake clinician. Yeah. So I'm curious, take us through your path, um, from those days to now. Well, it definitely was not my plan to be in an organization for 20 years, and and it was never in my plan to be the CEO. We moved out here. My husband and I had been married for about a year, and we had both just finished our grad school in Texas. And we said, well, let's just move out to Atlanta. We'll leave there. We'll live there for a couple of years. We'll, you know, get jobs, and then we'll move back to Texas and get settled and have kids near our family, and we'll just... But we it got we stuck. We've been here in Gwinnett for 20 years. Uh, my very first job was uh, with Viewpoint Health as an intake clinician. I was right out of school, so I was like still a brand new clinician, working on getting my license, and and uh, just had a lot of opportunities with colleagues at Viewpoint who really poured a lot into me and provided some great um, mentorship and encouragement to take some risk and to try different things and. Um, really a lot of support. And then um, for the last nine years, I've been the CEO. And it's blown by so fast. Isn't it amazing how quickly time passes, especially the older we get? I can speak for myself. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, it seemed like years just ticked, tick, tick, tick. Now they're just zoom, zoom. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, some risk-taking throughout those years. I'm curious about a risk that you took that obviously panned out uh, for the good. Yeah. Well, I really, my goal was to be a therapist and I really wanted to work with kids. And, um, I was doing that. I was, I was, I had a caseload. I was providing the services. I was providing the direct care. I was really fulfilled. I really enjoyed doing that. But I had, there was an opportunity that opened up to become a team lead And um, I was really scared to do that. I didn't feel like I had 
the um, skills to be a leader, to be a supervisor. I didn't really know uh, what I was getting into, but I did have uh, a colleague and a mentor named Frank Barry who uh, had an office right next door to me and was uh, really, really encouraging me to apply. And so I did, and I started kind of getting my first taste of the administrative work that goes along with running an organization as well as uh, supervising and kind of helping other uh, clinicians grow and being able to have a seat at the table where decisions are made was uh, really eye-opening to me. And so I really leaned into it. And uh, even though I was scared, I really enjoyed it. Good for you. Yeah. And the risk was definitely worth the reward. Yeah. It just, it opened more opportunities and more doors to continue that path and, and to take on other challenges and other roles. And um, it was, it really worked out well for me. Powering through that, that mental barrier um, of taking the risk. You know, a lot of people, they think a lot about doing things, mm -hmm. but actually taking that leap of faith or actually putting into motion, sometimes there's a bit of a barrier. Mm -hmm. From your experience, how would you... Um, how would you advise kind of breaking through that barrier in order to take that leap? Well, for me, I did have the benefit of having some other people around me who were more confident in my ability than myself that really encouraged me. So I, I really listened and trust the guidance of some of the other individuals who had been in that situation before. So that was really helpful for me. In addition, as I progressed through a variety of positions, I was also able to take a leadership program. And this is this was a national leadership program for professionals in the behavioral health field. Oh. And I was the chief operating officer at the time whenever I had that opportunity to take that program. And it's a nine-month program. I flew up to Washington, D.C. a couple of times. And, and I really learned, I really had imposter syndrome big time. Whenever I first walked into that room, I was, you know, in my early 30s. I had just had a baby. I didn't know. And then I was going into this room with all of these other CEOs and CFOs. And um, I really felt like I didn't have any business being there. But going through that program helped me realize that all of the other people that were in that room were having the same feeling for different reasons, but they all had that same feeling. And we were really able to um, learn a lot from one another. I learned a whole lot about uh, professional coaching and um, actually had a mentor who w was a, a Myers-Briggs personality type coach. I don't mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with that. I am. She was actually a former tax attorney that <laughs> had funny. left that work and then became a um, Myers-Briggs coach. And even though I'm a therapist, I've been in a lot of therapy. Some of the best therapy was with the former tax attorney for me because <laughs> she taught me so much about the business and how to lead people based on their personality type and their preferences. And um, that really opened my eyes up to, to being able to really lean in and work through some of those mental barriers that I had um, to help me grow. Thank you for sharing that. You are talking about leadership, and I'm curious, as you are a leader, if you could identify your style of leadership, what would you say that is? I don't know if this is an official style, <laughs> but I, I really call it relational. I feel like it's really important as a leader that I have a relationship with the people that I lead or that who um, work alongside of me. I don't 
I don't really lead from a top-down approach. I lead from a we're we're all in this together. We're all in this team. Um, we have a we have a large organization. We've got close to 700 employees. And so I can't have a relationship with every single one of our employees, even though I would love to, I would love to be able to like have a relationship with everybody and know them by their first name. But, um, I do try really hard to be accessible. I host, uh, kind of similar to this. I host like zoom sessions where anybody is invited. It's called conversation and connections where you can just um, join the conversation and ask any questions. If there's something that just recently came out that you don't understand why we did it that way, this is an opportunity to just ask the CEO. I just try to really um, maintain that relationship and be very transparent. In conversations and connections, is it totally about work or is some, is it more of a forum that people can come and speak to you about personal or other things? Or it's really just about it's, it's pretty open. And of course, it's only for Viewpoint Health employees. Mm-hmm. So it's, it really tends to be more work oriented. But um, some of the questions that have come up are like, hey, how, who do I need to talk to if I'm interested in growing as a leader? Or mm-hmm. who do I need to talk to if I want to work in this other different program? So it does kind of give them an opportunity to ask some questions that are more personal for their own career journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also had some really... Um, challenging opportunities to be able to have open discussions around some of the uh, social issues that we've experienced over the last three years. Uh, Because we really did start the conversation and connections during the pandemic, Pandemic. (laughs) because really we weren't doing a whole lot of virtual Zoom or anything like that beforehand. And we really needed to try to fill a way to keep our team members connected. And uh, when all of the social unrest and social justice needs came up, this was also an opportunity to have those conversations to say, look, this is wrong. We don't feel, we feel unsafe and, and we want to have a conversation around what, what can we do as a behavioral health organization to make a difference? And um, that's when we started having the conversation. Then we, we actually created a diversity, equity, and inclusion team within our organization to try to help with that and um, try to help our own team members heal, but also try to help the community as well. I think that sounds like a, if I was an employee, I would like to join your conversations and connections. We would love to have you. (laughs) I'm curious about getting into behavioral health. So when you're going to school, which you mentioned was in Texas, Mm -hmm. what what college did you go to? I went to the University of Texas in Austin. University Mm -hmm. of Texas. I'm not familiar with uh, your team. What is the your Longhorns? Okay, the we're Longhorns. We're the Longhorns. Yeah, Hook 'em Horns. No, Mike's over there cringing at my lack of sports knowledge. That's all right. Um, so when you started college, obviously you had a a definition of what you wanted to be in your head. Mm-hmm. Take me down that road and how you identified behavioral health and your enthusiasm behind your pursuit in that field. Yeah, well, I actually changed my major several times all throughout my undergrad, like most people do. I was I was business. I was psychology. I was I wanted to be a teacher for a little while. But I ended up um, in psychology and kind of settled on that by my, by my junior year. But, um, but I was also working at an elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got that out of my system, you know, that, that whole wanting to be a teacher. Yeah. I realized that really the only reason why I wanted to be a teacher is because I wanted to decorate a bulletin board. So once I got that out of my system, I was okay. And I, Next, stuck, with, yeah. I stuck with psychology. Um, but then I uh, got into 
uh, some research programs and I was really thinking that I was going to be like in the lab and I started working with kids. I was doing dream research and I had a professor who really encouraged me to go volunteer in an area where I could provide some counseling to see if I would rather be like in the direct service counseling work versus the, the lab clinical research work. So I was scared about that too. So here I am going, I'm just still in my bachelor's program. And I went to the Williamson County Juvenile Academy. So in Gwinnett County, you know, some kids might get um, moved out of their homeschool into the Give Academy if they're having some issues. Mm -hmm. Well, in Texas, there's even a next step after that, which is the Williamson County Juvenile Academy where kids like wear fatigues and they've got drill sergeants that are there teachers it's a really really like these kids have really really gone through a lot they've got sounds some like major, ROTC of sorts major major struggles and it's mm-hmm. the, and they're there for like behavioral reasons mm-hmm. and so I was really intimidated by that but I went there and I started working with these kids and I absolutely loved it and so I decided if I can if this is really where I'm going to find my why and my passion and my purpose this is this is it and I just absolutely loved working with those kids and mm-hmm. so I was like this, I'm hooked mm-hmm. I got I got to do this and so that's when I went into the counseling track and I got my master's degree. That makes a lot of sense when you just, you said when you went from teaching to the counseling, you're very easy to talk to and, you know, um, just very easy to open up to in this time, short time we've been together. I've identified that. So you mentioned, um, children and I know you're a mother of two Mm -hmm. and also you are married. You and your husband moved here from Texas, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So while you were going to school, were you married? Yeah, we got married. Uh, well, we met in undergrad, and then we got married during grad school. Oh, yeah. And then you graduated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you started your family in Texas, and you moved here. No, we um, moved here first, and um, yeah, I guess we moved here in twenty twenty three, and my son was born in twenty or sorry, not twenty twenty three. It's twenty twenty three now. now. <laughs> we got we moved here in two thousand three, and my son was born in two thousand seven. Okay, so. so your children, so you have been a Guanitian ever since you've been here. Yeah, yeah. And your children went to local schools, I'm sure. Yeah, my son is a, just finished his freshman year at Brookwood High School, and my daughter just finished her sixth grade year at Cruz. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. Talk about how you are able to not only serve your organization so wholly and completely, um, but also serve the community and still serve your family as well. It's a juggling act, and I don't always feel like I'm doing any of them to the best of my ability. You know, I, I think I think all working moms kind of feel that struggle when you're trying to have that balance. But I ask for a lot of grace um, and a lot of forgiveness uh, from my team members and from my family. And um, I really try to let go of that um, fallacy of striving to be perfect. And um, that helps, like just kind of giving myself some permission and kind of being kind to myself. You mentioned grace. I'm curious, what is your definition of grace? Oh, um, forgiveness, not judging, um, allowing yourself to make a mistake, allowing yourself to fumble and fail, mm-hmm. you know, and still getting up and being okay and humble. Yes. Yeah. I share the same definition. Um, I just made that up right now. <laughs> it came, it came from your heart. So, Tell me something exciting that you were able to accomplish in the early years of your career. Um, 
I think something that I was really proud of was helping Viewpoint establish a clubhouse for kids. Uh, this is uh, kids who are our first clubhouse that we had that we established uh, was focused on adolescents who are struggling with substance use. And um, I had been I didn't this is another one of those things where I didn't really set out to be a substance abuse counselor for mm -hmm. kids, but I had an opportunity to take some training in the seven challenges, which is an evidence-based practice that is used for kids with substance use. And it just really fit well with my uh, approach to serving kids. And um, so then we established this clubhouse model, uh, which it's its own standalone center that kind of combines that therapeutic approach with some fun activities, a safe place for kids to hang out. Uh, we did some outings. We involved the family. We would offer a lot of food. You know, whenever you're working with kids, you need yeah, to have a kitchen snacks. and have some <laughs> snacks and food. And and um, I really enjoyed um, being a part of that early on. And we still have them. We still have them going. We went from one clubhouse. Now we've got five. Wow. Yeah. And that's here in Georgia? It's right here in Gwinnett. Yeah, there's one in Lilburn. We've got one in Norcross. Um, and then we've got uh, two clubhouses that focus on uh, resiliency and mental health issues. We've got one in Norcross and one in Conyers. And then we also have um, a prevention clubhouse that mm -hmm. works with kids that are younger before wow. they even have any issues. So That's amazing. Thank you for yeah. sharing that with us. Um, is there a website or anything? Mm -hmm. Anybody listening wanted to learn mm -hmm. more how they can help? Absolutely. Yeah. Myviewpointhealth.org has all of our services. For the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. You know, you said, I, I believe you used the word children, mm -hmm. and it's just so shocking to me to hear that children are having to battle substance abuse. Yes. Children. Yes. You know, you hear statistics, you hear on the news, 13, 14. I was oblivious to all this talk mm -hmm. till college, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it just seems that the needle keeps moving younger and younger and younger. Yeah, it does. So kudos for you guys identifying a need and creating some resources for those who um, who can reach out. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. So kind of going along the same vein of philanthropy and giving back, um, obviously your organization probably does a lot within the community. You just mentioned some things, but I'm curious, um, what you find mm -hmm. fulfillment in maybe something you do with your family, yeah. um, something that you are personally passionate about. So I'm actually a Rotary member. So I am in the Rotary Club of Gwinnett County. I have been for close to nine years and I'm a past president, and I currently serve as an area governor for the district. Um, and I absolutely love Rotary. I, I love Rotary. I love its mission. You know, it's... it's service above self. Service above self, of course, and um, polio eradication, uh, which goes along with having clean water. And that is uh, something that I'm very passionate about globally mm -hmm. is clean water and polio eradication. So being able to be a part of a service organization like that has just brought me so much joy and a community of people who share that same passion that, that really gives me a lot of hope for our future. Absolutely. Rotary is a wonderful organization, mm -hmm. uh, deeply rooted, you know, the foundations and it's just, I, when I first started, um, 
I, I own and operate a studio here up the street in Forsyth. And when I first started um, tippy-toeing around the marketplace, I mm-hmm. visited a couple rotaries. Yeah. And that's where I found my very first clients. That's where I found my footing in the marketplace. Yeah. And to this day, two years later, I'm still able to call upon these people and vice versa as well. Yeah, absolutely. When you really get to learn the ins and outs of other people's business and how mm-hmm. you can collectively reach a goal, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give to anybody out there that is seeking a group, uh, a valuable group to participate in, not only for networking, but maybe for personal or professional growth? Yeah, absolutely. I would I would recommend Rotary, of course, for all the reasons that we just stated. Um, but I would also recommend, if you're in Gwinnett, to check out Leadership Gwinnett. I graduated from the Leadership Gwinnett what in class? Uh, 2015. The this best is the class best class ever. <laughs> that's just letting you know that's the one. Uh, but I've been involved with the organization ever since. And uh, I had completed the, the executive leadership program out of Washington just the year prior to my involvement with Leadership Gwinnett. And so I thought that I knew everything there was to know about leadership at that point. And, you know, I'm going to, but Leadership Gwinnett really opened my eyes to uh, the power of knowing your community mm-hmm. and relationships. Yeah. And, you know, similar to the way I, I lead the organization through a relational model, having those uh, relationships that you build upon mm-hmm. and those connections either with Rotary or with Leadership Gwinnett are so so important mm-hmm. uh, to establishing your business and your credibility in the community. I would agree. I've heard great things about leadership Gwinnett. I've not completed the program, but I will tell you, Jen, every single person I've talked to, their class is the best class. <laughs> so I love the fun that you guys have. It's like it's like the um, graduating classes. That's right. You're always competing. Right. Um, for those of you just joining us, we are on Celebrating Powerhouse Women, and Jennifer Hibbert is Hibbard. Why am I keep putting a T on there, Jennifer? Because I'm from up. Texas. <laughs> It's with a D, Hibbard, I apologize. Um, We're having a great conversation. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to talk about saxophones, okay? Mm, Great. (laughs) NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada, and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing, or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com. All right, folks, and welcome back. Uh, Celebrating Powerhouse Women, I'm your host, Amanda Pierce-Marmalejo, joined by Jennifer Hibbert. And before the show, we were talking about a variety of things. And now I'm going to put her in the hot seat to share a little bit about her personal life. We already know that Jen is a mom and she is a wife, and her husband does something very unique. And I will let you take it from there. So my husband is a jazz musician. So he, and this is, this has been his passion. He's been fortunate to be able to have this be his job for 
his entire career. So he, I mentioned we met, we met at the University of Texas where he got his master's degree in jazz performance. And he has been able to be a touring musician. And he plays a lot of gigs locally as well. He plays with a lot of different bands. Um, but for the last several years, he's been playing with Lyle Lovett, who is a, a longtime uh, singer-songwriter, guitar player out of Texas. And in the summers, Lyle travels with a big band where he has a horn section and he's got other uh, string players along with him. So my husband, it's actually a funny story how he came to that gig because um, I was actually at a chamber event in the evening and my uh, husband was home with the kids working on um, some math homework with my son. And um, he got a call from a guy he knows and he says, hey, can you be at, at Atlanta Symphony Hall in 45 minutes? You, there's, there's been an issue and we, you know, can you, are you available? And Mace was like, well, I'm home. I'm working with my kids. He goes, it's for Lyle Lovett. And Mace goes, okay, I'll be there right now. And so he calls me and he's like, okay, I'm leaving. So I'm trying to leave this chamber event to get home to the kids. We told the kids just sit on the couch and don't move. We'll be right there. Don't answer the door. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, he, and he's been traveling with them ever since. So that means that, um, he's gone for a good, you know, for about three months during, uh, during the summer. Um, in fact, he leaves next Thursday and he'll be on the road, and so the kids and I'll be on our own. But um, we've got a we got a pretty good system, and we've got uh, some great friends around here. We don't have any family in Georgia, um, but we've got a great network that that helps with that. And um, also, the kids and I are going to go out to visit them. We're going to pick up uh, the tour in Los Angeles and stay for about a week and be kind of like little groupies for yeah, a little while. Me as roadies. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That sounds very exciting. I mean, if he if he wasn't able to answer that call, then then life might be totally different. Yeah, yeah. But cheers to him for picking it up and and getting on out there. Yeah. I'm sure it's very exciting and rewarding. Yeah. Does he serenade you with the saxophone at home? He does not. <laughs> he sings a whole bunch. He's actually a really really good singer, but he usually makes up very goofy funny songs whenever he sings. But Love yeah. It. Yeah. Are your children musically inclined? My son is uh, in the marching band at Brookwood High School. He plays the trumpet. And my daughter, who's just finished sixth grade, just picked up the clarinet. Aww. So my husband's very excited that she chose the clarinet because he plays all woodwinds. Mm-hmm. So from flute to Barry sax. So you have a three, um, three-man three band in, yeah. in your own house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't have anything to do with music, music whatsoever. All I do is appreciate it. Yes, you can be their biggest yeah. fan. Um, you're talking about your husband departing for three months and, you know, we all know I'm, I'm learning as a recently married woman that marriage is a lot about give, mm-hmm. give, ebbs, flows, take, yeah. et cetera. Talk about supporting each other within your marriage. Obviously it takes a lot for you yeah. to be able to do this over the, the next few months, but your husband feels confident that you are able to, um, lead the charge in his absence and you too feel confident in him being there. So talk about supporting each other within a marriage or a yeah. relationship or partnership and things that you kind of would recommend for others. I think one thing that helps with us is that we don't know anything about each other's industry. So we don't talk a lot of shop at home. Because I have no idea what it's like to be a musician, and he has no idea what it's like to be a CEO or run a company or, um, you know, I don't even know if he could do an Excel spreadsheet, you know, so it's just, but we have, so we have such different work lives that our home life doesn't get invaded 
by that work. And that really does help with some balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll say. Very interesting. Congratulations, because you said that you were married for 21 years. Yeah, 21 years this month. Throughout your marriage and throughout the ascension of, of ranks through your organization, what are some things that kind of helped you stay grounded as you were pursuing the next step? I think part of my upbringing, uh, being from Texas and just kind of coming from a family who really valued education, but neither one of my parents had college degrees, um, and just really uh, valuing hard work and um, being really, really humble has definitely kept me grounded because I've, I have never taken this for granted. I have um, always felt like this could change in a matter of minutes, and um, so I don't ever take it for granted. And then the other thing that kind of helps me keep grounded is actually something that a mentor, a, a former uh, colleague, said to me one time when I was, right as I was transitioning from chief operating officer to chief executive officer, I was feeling a lot of stress and worry and pressure and kind of weight of the organization. And he looked at me and he goes, this is just a job. It's just a job. Everything else in your life is more important. Your family, your home life, your health. This is just a job and you can always go get another job. Hmm. So I kind of, even though I love my job, it's where I find a lot of passion and purpose. I remember at the end of the day, I get to go home, I get to go to my family, and somebody else could come in and do that job. Hmm. It's not all about me. And so that really helps keep me hum- humble. It helps uh, kind of check my ego. Right. And um, and then my husband also helps keep me humble. He's <laughs> He reminds me, you're not the CEO of this house. Ah! So, <laughs> so yeah, it's good to have those people in your life that, that make sure that you're in check. I have a personal question for you. Okay. You just shared, you know, it's just a job. Somebody could do this um, if you're unable to. Mm-hmm. Do you not at all feel, if that were the case, if you had to step away, you've built something for such a long time. And in stepping out of that, would you not feel remorse or regret for having built something and having dedicated so many years of your life? I understand what you're saying and what you mentioned, mm-hmm. and that makes total sense and mm-hmm. is sane. But just out of curiosity on, on mm-hmm. the flip side, is that something that would even cross your mind? Yeah. Or how would you kind of... So I've never that? never thought, like I've never been asked this question, but when you asked me that, the first thing that I thought of is the team of people that we have built at the organization. I know that they would do a fabulous job carrying it forward. I'm 100% confident in that team mm-hmm. and that it's not just about me. It's right. really about that team. But I also know that there would be a grief process in stepping away. You know, mm-hmm. any sort of change for whatever reason, I would definitely feel the grief of that. But I'm confident in the team that that runs Viewpoint Health that they would uh, continue on the amazing work that that organization does. Oh, I love that, Jen. Thank you for that answer. Mm-hmm. Speaking of teams, um, in your experience, if I say um one more time, uh, um, what makes a team successful? So I am a firm believer that a successful team needs to be diverse, diverse in thought, diverse in opinion, and needs to have enough trust among one another that they are not silent. That when you have an opinion that you disagree with somebody, that you are able to have that healthy conflict and that... um, and, and 
that belief is something that you have to work at every single day. You can't just say, oh, this is the rules for being on this team and expect everybody to do it. You, it's an active process that you have to do every day. And each issue that comes up could challenge that. Um, but that's, that's my core belief is if you've got, you can't have a team of people that are just going to want to agree with everything that you're going to say because you're the boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to have people that are going to say, hey, this is not a good idea. We need to take this slow. You need to think about this. This is, you know, we're, we, we need to go in a different direction um, and being able to trust one another mm-hmm. for that. I like that. Be diverse in thought and opinion. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I wanted to ask you really quickly, what inspires you to achieve more? So, uh, because, uh, I'm in the field of behavioral health, um, it's really a critical time for behavioral health in our, in our nation. Really. I think after the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, the, the issues that we have seen, the demand has definitely increased. Um, and we've really, we really have a lot of work to do in across the country, but really a lot of work to do in Georgia. And I am really energized by transforming the way community behavioral health is offered in Georgia. We've got a long sorted history of the way we have treated individuals with mental illness, especially severe mental illness. I'm sure you remember there's been yeah, institutions that, yeah. where individuals were just kind of sent away and locked up. And uh, through the deinstitutionalization movement in the 50s and 60s, then everybody was kind of without services. And then that's, it took until 1994 to really create a community behavioral health system in Georgia. And that's mm-hmm. where we come in as right. that safety net. But But what's happened is, a lot of our jails and prisons have become kind of the de facto mental health system. So mm-hmm. trying to have a robust network of care in the community so that individuals can thrive in their homes mm-hmm. and not in an institution or in a jail or prison. Jail, yeah. So uh, some of the work that we've been doing recently, we've partnered with Gwinnett County Police, and we now have behavioral health clinicians that ride along with officers wow. and can intervene before anybody ever even goes to jail, oh, you know, to try nice. to prevent yeah. that. And I am so excited about the, the work that we could do to change uh, the way behavioral health services are delivered and funded. Mm-hmm. And um, that really just keeps me going. That sounds like mm-hmm. an astronomical effort. And I am excited for you because those things are, like you mentioned, very much uh, a need within our community. I noticed a lot of homelessness um, mm-hmm. also is related to mental health. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are just displaced and on the streets and misunderstood, yeah. you know, in the way that they act or they might have a convulsion or, or you mm-hmm. know, some something like you mentioned. So that's just amazing to hear that they have a ride along so yeah. that they can nip it right then and there. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm curious, and this is a a personal question again, throughout your life, throughout your career, has there ever been a time that you felt like you were your own worst enemy? Mm. There's probably more times than I can count. Um, Absolutely. I think um, I have a really hard time coming out of my shell. Like, like it's, I'm very much an introvert and being the CEO, I have to force myself to 
being, I, I'm, I'm okay like getting up in front of a whole bunch of people and giving a presentation. I'm awful at walking into a room full of people and doing a bunch of chit chat, you know, <laughs> and networking. I just, I really, really, that, that is something that I'm trying to overcome, but I'm um, just kind of forcing myself to be putting myself in that situation. But I will talk myself out of going to events and participating in all of that um, and, and just rather just stay at home or stay in my office. Um, so that's that's definitely a, a character trait that I have to work at overcoming um, on a daily basis. Well, I would have never guessed. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I've not seen you in a network setting, and I'm sure you can lead discussions and, and teams like that with no problem. I'm curious what you do as far as personal or professional development. How do you remain sharp? What do you enjoy listening to, reading, mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. that helps helps you remain yeah. tippy top? Yeah, I love uh, I love to listen to podcasts. Uh, and my, my husband actually listens to a lot of podcasts, especially when he's on the road. There's a lot of downtime. And mm-hmm. so anytime he comes up with one that has to do with behavioral health, he'll send it to me. Um, I've got a few uh, books that I'm currently reading. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of her. She's also from Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the kind of that combination of uh, behavioral health issues, but also tied with leadership mm-hmm. is uh, something that I really appreciate. And then going to professional conferences and hearing from uh, speakers that have I can get some inspiration from as well. So that's that's kind of how I try to stay mm-hmm. on top of it. And I've also tried to prioritize my workload to give me some time to read professional articles or at least snippets of books that I need to be staying on top of. Mm-hmm. When do you find that you're most productive? In the mornings. Me too. For sure. No, I mean, my family makes fun of me. I'm ready to go to sleep at 830. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that, especially when you wake up and you're just do, do, do. Yeah. I have had to learn over the years, you were mentioning time management and Mm -hmm. prioritization to kind of identify my most productive hours Mm -hmm. and and fill my calendar with the things that need to get done during Mm -hmm. that time Mm -hmm. and little things like creating graphics or social media posts or anything social I can save for the times where I'm not feeling 100% things I can do sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. For someone out there struggling with organization or prioritizing, what would you recommend? Something that I learned a few years ago, uh, a concept that I learned from um, somebody that works at Rocket IT. I know they're a Gwinnett company too, but they talked about the concept of zero inbox. Hmm. And that really changed my overall productivity by being able to achieve zero inbox. And I don't always get to it every single day, but I can I can try to get my email inbox to zero. That really helped me because it was having a bunch of emails in your inbox is, is for me, it's, it feels overwhelming and kind of anxiety provoking. And, and I, being able to just put them in archive, like, you know, mark them unread, see, you know, see what, just kind of filter through, delete the spam, check to make sure that there's nothing of priority, but just take action on it. Mm-hmm. If it's something that you don't have time to take action on that day during that time, you can schedule it on your calendar and still get the email out of your inbox. Mm-hmm. So just having that practice has really, really helped me um, feel less baggage and kind of weight that I'm carrying around of all of stuff. And I really try to not feel that need to be busy like that's not where I get my value in my um, productivity is to just be that 
I'm stretched too thin, I'm busy, I'm pulling all these different directions. A lot of that is just your perception. And so I really try to, to not have that. I'm way too busy for anything kind of mentality. It, it backs up on me every once in a while when I get overwhelmed, but really like not make, making time for the things that are a priority, delegating the things that, are, that I don't need to be doing or saying no, and then really helping me just not be like, oh, I'm super busy all the time. I like that. I am sitting here laughing on the inside because my Gmail account that I just send all junk to has like mm-hmm. thousands of unread email, but they're all just spam. Yeah. But my work email, it has a bunch, but they all require action. Yeah. So I'll probably have 10 and they're flagged. You know, mm-hmm. I know what I need to do, but I don't clear it out. That's a mm-hmm. really awesome. And I bet just like a nice refreshing feeling. It feels really good for me. I can't like, wait to liberate myself yeah. when we part ways. I'm going to yeah. go clean out my box. Just Just having that zero, like go, getting to that point is really, really helpful. And then if you think about when, when you first make that transition, like anything that's more than two weeks old, if you haven't done it already, you might not ever do it. Just stick it in an archive mm-hmm. and just get, the, get rid of that. Hey, thanks Rocket IT for that zero go. inbox yeah, that was Eric tip. Anderson. Was that like a um, seminar or like a, he, a you know what? He lunch and learn or something? He spoke to my Rotary Club. Nice. It's back to Rotary. Love yeah. it. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, Jen, I told you at the beginning of the show that time would fly, fly by. Yeah. And it is that time. Have we shared all of the things that you would like to share with our listeners during our conversation? I think so. Okay. Think well, so, then, you yeah. know, the next question is, right. I would love for you to leave our listeners with uh, some words of wisdom or the final thought is yours to leave. Okay. Oh, you told me that I was going to have to do this and now I'm not sure if I've got a really good one, but um, I think the final thought, I might've already said this, but somebody said this to me recently and I would just want to pass this along and share it. Be kind to yourself. Hmm. That's my final thought. Such a simple thing to say, but when you really think about it, yeah. being kind to yourself. Yeah, it'll make a difference. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind just a second because now I have a question. Okay. How do you combat negative self-talk? It might not necessarily be like, oh, your teeth aren't wide enough, your hair looks weird today, but just the things that we, and I say we just because me, mm-hmm. I personally am guilty of you know, those mm-hmm. thoughts that aren't also positive about ourselves. We are our own worst critic. Yep. How do you retrain your brain to kind of look at something more positively Yeah. and maybe from a professional side because the behavioral health yeah. and just personally yourself? Yeah. For me, I need permission. So I think just give yourself permission to be okay with where you're at right now. And just kind of remind yourself that, that like you said, you are your own worst critic. Uh, and just say, you know, I wouldn't be this hard on anybody else. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have these feelings to my friend or to my daughter. You know, why am I doing this to myself? Hmm. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. I will try to implement that. Yeah, be kind to yourself. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us on Celebrating Powerhouse Women. Please give the website so people can access all those mental health resources oh, and sure. all of those juvenile resources as well. It's myviewpointhealth.org. Dot org. All right. And for those of you listening, you know, you can catch us every Friday live at 1130. You can find us anywhere that you listen to your podcast. I listen on iTunes. Where do you listen, Jen? iTunes. iTunes. And Spotify. And Spotify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Simply look for the Rosie the Riveter icon. We'd love to hear from you. If you find value in this series, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo. And for our guest today, Jennifer Hibbert and our production team, Mike and Dan, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.